0: Welcome, everybody. I'm glad that you're here, and it is a joy, and we get to keep going through the book of First Peter. If you are visiting with us, turn to First Peter. What we like to do at Crossing Church is we pick a book of the Bible, and then we work through it uh, verse by verse, systematically. And we are all the way in chapter 4 of the book of First Peter. And we, pre- we believe that fundamentally what we need week in and week out more than anything is a message from the Lord. Uh, you don't need anybody's opinion up here. Uh, what you need is a word from God telling us how to reshape and reframe our minds according to what God has said. And so that's what we're going to look at today, what God has said. And actually the text for today is so appropriate um, for the season that we're in. With next week being my last Sunday here, um, there is so much in here that I am praying for, for Crossing Church, for this church. And uh, there's a lot in here and I can't wait to Go through it. So we'll go ahead and start. I love the way that it opens. Look at chapter four, starting in verse seven. The end of all things is at hand. So that's a very good way to start. Um, and this is just a reminder of the perspective that should guide our behavior. The perspective that actually should guide our behavior. What Peter is doing here, he's speaking, and we've walked through First Peter for a lot of months now. And Peter is speaking to, he's writing to a group of churches all over the Mediterranean world. And he's telling them, he's, he's sharing with them a lot of things, a lot of the issues that new churches were dealing with, like our church is dealing with. He's helping guide them. And he starts out by saying, the end of all things is at hand. He means that, that this, this, the world that we live in, time is running out. Now, some of you are more skeptical, and you're like, okay, so this was written 2,000 years ago, so was he wrong? <laughs> right? You write, the end of all things is at hand 2,000 years ago, and at some point you start asking yourself, Okay, maybe maybe I said that too early. But we don't believe. We believe the Bible is the word of God, and it's never wrong. And so the right way to understand this is when we think about the end of all things or the end of ages or the last times – that's always in the Bible referring to Jesus' first come, the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming is always referred to as the last time. So because Jesus has not returned yet, we are still in the last days, we are still in the last time, and so were they. So he's saying, as a, a perspective giver, we, the, the end of all things has come. Because of the brevity of life, it should cause us to live very intentionally. And so that sets him up for the commands he's about to give. So he says, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Living intentionally, so the end of all things, because of our our time is short here on earth, just because life is short, and also we don't know when Jesus is returning. We need to live in such a way that our, our minds are under control, we are self-controlled, and we are sober-minded. Well, what does that mean? Self-controlled essentially just means you need to keep your head, you need to be sensible and not freak out, and you need to learn how to say no to yourself. That's very difficult. In fact, that's like almost un-American right now to learn how to say no to yourself, right? Because everything is about say yes to yourself and no to everybody else. But Peter's saying the opposite. He's saying Be self-controlled. Learn how to say no to your desires. Learn how to say no towards your best plan for yourself. And actually listen to Jesus and say yes to what he has. So be self-controlled, sober-minded, right? Sober-minded essentially means just stay rational. For the Christian, the reality of the end of time gives us a reason to become more focused, not more freaked out. Okay? Most people get more freaked out when they think about Okay, we have very little time left on this earth, what should we do? Well, it's time for the Christian to become more focused on why we're here. These words illustrate a life that is not driven by a daily pursuit of satisfying our appetites or by reacting to chaos around us, but by an unflinching focus on what we're here to do. Did you hear that? These words illustrate that our life is not driven by a daily pursuit of satisfying our appetites. That's hard, because when you wake up in the morning, that's all you're thinking about. When you go to bed at night, that's all you're thinking about. I have appetites that are not satisfied. Not just physical, but emotional and other things, right? We have appetites, and, and every billboard in America is telling you that you need to go to that company to satisfy that appetite. You need to treat yourself. You need to And that's the world that we live in constantly. The Bible has a different, a different message for us. Be self-controlled, be sober-minded because the end of all things is near. Stay focused. And look at why we should be clear, uh, clear-headed and focused. Look at why he says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Why would we end that sentence? How would we end that sentence if, if we were writing the Bible, which is a bad idea. thats if you don't take anything else away, take away this. Don't try and write the Bible. It's already written. So why should we clear-headed and focused? Well, for many of us, we would say I need to stay focused and clear-headed because time is short so I can get the most done. If time is short, I need to stay focused so I can get the most accomplished in the littlest amount of time. That's what we would say. Right? If you're like me, that's what we'd say. Okay, if time is short, get focused. We have very little time. We need to get as much, uh, much done as possible. Not Peter. What does he say? You need to stay focused for the sake of your prayers. You need to keep self-control and a sober mind so you can pray, which is a sober realization that God is in control and you're not. Martin Luther. There's a story of Martin Luther. Martin Luther. When asked about his plans for the following day, he said, work, work from early until late. If you don't know Martin Luther, um, this year is very significant, right? 500th anniversary of the Reformation, right? He did an extraordinary, he preached a ton, he wrote a ton. There's so much in that, that Martin Luther, he's credited with changing the entire Western world, right, in the 16th century. And when asked, when asked, what are you planning to do tomorrow? He said, work. Work from early until late. In fact, listen to this. I have so much to do, I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Martin Luther knew that if he was going to do anything of significance, it was first going to be from from on his knees. Think about it, the frame of mind which says, Time is short, I must push to have the greatest productivity results in man's glory. The mind which says, time is short, I must always be in prayer, results in God's glory. And I'm telling you, after this season and seeing all the miraculous answers to prayer that we have seen lately, I am more and more convinced that I'd be far more productive in really making a difference in this world if I would be in front of God more often. I would be so much more productive in making an actual difference if I would be in God's presence way more often. Time is short. Be sober-minded. Be self-controlled. Don't just always give in to your appetites because you need to be in prayer. For the sake of your prayers, keep control of your appetites. Keep control. Of, of your mind Don't grow asleep With all the chaos That's around you Don't freak out Over all the chaos That's around you Grow asleep With just uh, one entertainment After another No, 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 no Be self-controlled And sober-minded Because you have so much To pray about That's Peter's plea for us And then look at verse 8 Above all Keep loving one another Earnestly Since love covers A multitude of sins It's amazing How consistent this is Throughout the Bible Above all Everything else, keep loving one another. This is, this is all through the, the New Testament, right? The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love the Lord your God. The greatest one. We've preached to that many times here. Love God and then love others. And First Corinthians 13, if you do everything, do extraordinary miracles, right? If you speak in a bunch of tongues, if you, if you cast out demons, if you sell everything you have and give it to the poor, but you don't have love, you've done nothing. It's worthless. It's amazing how many times the New Testament comes back and says, above all, if you remember one thing, it's love. Love God and love other people. And love them. Look at this in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That means you have to try. And you have to actively try to do this better every day. You are not naturally going to love one another, that is not natural. What is natural is to grow more in love with ourselves, not others. So just listen to these two statements and tell me which one sounds, just according to the flesh, which one sounds better to you. Someone comes up and you say, says to you, you know what? You really need to treat yourself. You need to spend some time on just you. Get away. It's not wrong, but that one sounds a whole lot better than this one. You need to find the needs of others and bear their burdens with them. Find someone to serve and to bless today. You're like, yeah, I know. I need to do that. I need to do that. Like I need to eat my broccoli, right? I I do. I need to bear somebody else's burden. But the first one sounds better because we naturally grow. We naturally love ourselves well. We do not naturally love others well. And so we earnestly have to love one another continually. We have to work at it. You have to say no to yourself in order to say yes to other people, going back to the self-control issue. And the second part is there, that we're about to read, is there to help you with those who are hard to love. See this? It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. This part's included to help you love those who are harder to love. No one ever deserves your love or my love, but real love overlooks the sins of others. And, and real love doesn't stop people from loving those who are in sin. Think about uh, about Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus. I don't think we actually let it land on us when we hear the the stories throughout the New Testament or the Gospels. So I was reading through that passage this week or listening to it, and and it's talking about who Zacchaeus was. Okay, this guy was a tax collector. He was very wealthy, and he made his money by preying on the weak, right? He made his weak by exploiting the vulnerable right? Just think of the, the people in our day who are known for exploiting the vulnerable and the weak to enrich themselves. And think about how you feel about those people, okay? So that's this guy, that's Zacchaeus. So then he's walking through a crowd, Jesus is walking through a crowd, and there's tons of other people, people who are far less, t- less sinful than Zacchaeus. But he was known to be a sinner. And then Zacchaeus climbs a tree, right? And he's looking out, and Jesus passes by and he says, I'm coming to your house today. I choose you. I'm coming to your house. And then he goes into the house of Zacchaeus and everybody is ridiculing, saying, do you see this guy? He's eating with sinners. Sometimes when we read in the Gospels that Jesus, you know, was a friend of sinners and, and he sat down and had meals with sinners. We think about sinners as uh, poor beggars on the side of the road and you're just, you just feel compassion for them. No, these are the people who stole your grandma's inheritance. That's who Jesus had dinner with. Somebody who went and and like lied to your grandmother to swindle her out of her inheritance. Sinners. It was not good. It was wrong. It was really wrong. And he hurt a ton of people. And Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. So then we get in the house and then what happens? The kingdom of Jesus does what our kingdom of Jesus always does. He says, I'm giving away half of everything I own to the poor. And anybody I've defrauded, I'm paying back four times as much. This is what Jesus does. For people. He says, I pick you. I'm, I'm loving you. Love covers a multitude of sins. And he's inviting you and I into that. As we experience life to, with each other, we're going to sin against each other, right? Crossing Church, you guys are going to sin against each other, but love covers a multitude of sins. That's the, that's the illustration here. This means that it should, sin should never make someone unlovable by Christians. Okay, so what does this look like then? He's saying, above all, love each other earnestly. Work hard at it. Don't let sin get in the way. Okay, how does it look? Look at verse nine. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's how it looks. That word for grumbling is just muttering under your breath because somebody is, is annoying you. It's very common for Christians during this time period to need a place to stay. Because they were moved, either they were moved like Peter and Paul, to go to a new city and to preach about Jesus, right? And they needed a place to stay in that city so they would stay with Christians. Or for persecution. They couldn't stay in their house anymore. They had to. They were exiled to another place and they had to live with other Christians wherever they settled. So Peter's addressing, and this isn't the only place in the New Testament it's addressed, but he's addressing the issue that was probably very common for Christians that would be common in our day. You can imagine the resentment was a real issue, right? Right? They always leave their socks in the hallway, right? Oh, drives me nuts, right? They, they eat too many of our groceries. They're staying too long. They don't have a plan to move on, right? And Peter looks at him and says, show hospitality without grumbling. That's what love looks like that covers a multitude of sins. They're ungrateful. They don't pick up after themselves. They are annoying. They don't live life the way we live. They don't, they don't parent the way we parent and we're just not, we just can't handle it. Show hospitality without grumbling. That's what he says. And we need to hear this too. We really need to hear this too in our day. Christians are never told, make sure no one ever takes advantage of you. Not in the New Testament, you're not gonna find it. Above all, make sure nobody ever takes advantage of you and your hospitality. It's not in there. Jesus was and still is constantly taken advantage of. By us. By everybody. His grace, his love, what he's done for us is, is taken advantage of. Jesus' mission was not to try and prevent us from being taken advantage of. No. Show hospitality without grumbling. It's a new way of living that's completely different from the rest of the world. And then 10. Look at the 10. It continues. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's Varied grace. This is how love looks, too. This is the how-to of loving one another. God gives you, individually, abilities, personalities, and life circumstances as gifts for the people around you. He gave you these gifts for the person sitting next to you. You are the way you are for the good of the people in this church. Do you think about it that way? You are the way you are for the good of the people in this church. And your service to each other is not really an optional thing as though the gifts you have are yours to do with as you please. It's not an optional thing. It's not yours in the beginning. but Your your gifts, your personality, your experiences, your abilities, your life circumstances, not yours to decide what to do with. God gave them to you for the people around you. As stewards, did you see that? As good stewards of God's varied grace. That means God has given each of us something that belongs to him so we can use it for the good of others. Every Christian has something that belongs to God that's supposed to be used for the good of others. So that those who benefit from the gifts of others but, but don't ask themselves how can I use what he's given me for the good of these people are like that servant in Jesus' parable. Who was timid and did nothing with the talent that God gave him? This is really, really heinous if you think about it. The person who benefits from the gifts of other people, but never asks themselves how can I use what He's given me for the good of those people—that's that's that's the worst form of hypocrisy, right? I'll take what everybody else has given me according to God's varied grace, but don't expect me to return the favor. Far too many Christians attend church every week and ask, what's here for me? This will be a great danger to crossing. This is gonna be a great danger for the future of crossing. I don't think it is right now, but every church faces this, and this church will face it too. Here's how it will creep in. First, we we'll start fixating on the shortcomings of other people. This happens everywhere. Start fixating on the shortcomings of others. There are just clicks to hear. There are just clicks. And we just can't seem to break in and it's just whatever. Name the shortcoming, name the fault of the church, of the people in the church that will start to put a little seed of separation in your heart. That's actually not surprising. Every single church have groups of people that feel more close to each other than others. And, and it's not really surprising. There's sin in the church. Hello. Was anybody surprised by this? That there is sin in the church? I don't think so. But it doesn't change our role as stewards of God's grace. You have something that doesn't belong to you that God gave you for the people around you. That doesn't change no matter how sinful all those people are. Right? It doesn't change. You have something that doesn't belong to you that you've been asked, according to God's very grace, to give to other people. And that does not change. Your responsibility does not change based on how sinful other people are, does it? You answer to God. Another way, another one, the that, that seeds, the devil will start planting. And I, I'm just not being recognized like I should. I do so much and no one has said thank you. Or my ideas are disregarded. People are just not listening to my ideas. I have good ideas and it's just, this is how it starts to creep in. You fixate on the shortcomings of other people and then you're only concerned at the end of the day on what you're getting rather than the obligation that you have as a steward of the grace of God to use what he's given you. Love, not murmuring, co- uh, covers a multitude of sins. There's a lot of sin covering that will happen in the future of Crossing Church. There will be. But love is chief among them. So like I said, this is so beautiful I got next week is all I got left. And, and if I could if I could say anything to Crossing Church, it would be above all love. It covers a multitude of sins. You guys are going to annoy the heck out of each other. There's going to be all sorts of issues that arise. But love covers those sins. And you guys are going to also experience the most amazing miracles ever as God transforms people as he's done the past three years. Brought people out of darkness into light. You're going to have highs and you're going to have lows. But love will cover a multitude of sins. As you're fervent in prayer and you ask yourself this question, God, what, do you, what have you given me that didn't belong to me that I can use for the people around me? What is that? That's my, that's my task. That's the second thing that might happen where you treat God's gifts like they're yours. Just coming to receive and not to give. It's a common statement that I hear. I've been in the ministry for 12 years now, 15 years now. Common statement I've heard. I just wasn't getting anything out of it. Well, according to this passage of scripture, that's not really, you haven't said anything because that wasn't the point in the first place of belonging to a church. When we complain like that and say, "I just wasn't getting anything out of it," what we're saying is the grace of God given to other people just wasn't good enough for my taste, and I certainly won't be expending any of my energy to love like them. That. That's what you are saying when you say, "I just wasn't getting anything out of it," or I, was get, "I get a great a lot," I get so much out of that. I get so much out of this or whatever. That's not that's not how Jesus talked. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's that's how Jesus talked. We don't realize it, but if we are carrying around what God has given us and we offer it to one another, the one who writes off God's people writes off God. If, if there's a group of people that are offering their gifts that God has given them to each other, to serve one another, their personalities, their life experiences, their, the, the actual spiritual gifts we find in Scripture, and they're doing that. And then we cut ourselves off from those people. We're not writing people off. We're writing God off. Because God gave us those people to show his varied grace. That's what this says. We are stewards of, of the gifts God has given us of God's varied grace. God's grace looks a hundred different ways, a thousand different ways in the relationships that we have with one another. What are some examples? Well, that's what verse 11 says. Look, whoever speaks as the one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. There's some examples, right? Speaking and serving. These gifts must be used with a Godward focus. Those who speak, God is using your words to accomplish eternal work in others. That should make you tremble. Those who speak to one another, not just from up here, but those who speak to one another, the words of God, you are being used To effect eternal transformation in another human being. That's what you're doing. You need to keep a Godward focus on those who are stewards of God's very grace. Do you find that people respond when you speak words of life to them and encouragement to them? And the words of scripture when you speak to each other and people are encouraged and exhorted? That's a tremendous stewardship from God that you should not withhold. Speak all the more so more people are encouraged and built up as those who speak the very oracles of God and those who serve. God is supplying you the strength to get here at eight o'clock in the morning to set all this up, to take all of this stuff down. To take that that meal to someone who is in need because of his love for them, those who serve in this church, serve as those who are given the strength that God supplies. So when we set up and tear down here, our thought should be God really loves the people in this church and he has given me the strength to show it. God loves the people who will be sitting in these chairs and he has called me to set them up so people can sit here and hear the very words that he's speaking. That's the thought, that's the mindset that we have as those who serve according to the strength that God provides. Thank you, God, that I can get up right now and I can do this work so that I can show your love for your people week in and week out. That's that's what we're called to and the church has been doing this from the beginning. From the very beginning, you guys, are we are all doing the the very same thing that the churches that Peter was writing to. This story has not changed. It's the same since the beginning. And it's called out speakers and it's called out servers in so many different capacities who are all saying, man, God loves his people. That's been my constant meditation is God has given us. Certain gifts that are now going to be used to bring people the gospel who have never heard it before. It's all because God loves those people that I still don't know. That he has fundamentally altered our life. It's because God loves his people. Because God loves you. Somebody else's life has been fundamentally radically changed and altered. And you'll be introduced to him shortly. His life has been fundamentally radically altered because of his love for you and he's gonna be coming equipped with all the gifts that, and experiences that you need because of God's love for you. This is how God works. He controls the show and he does it because of his deep abiding affection for you as grace. So when we're serving each other, it's God really loves the people in this church and has given me the strength to show it, not... Not, I just don't understand why I have to use my time and energy. God says, excuse me? <laughs> your time and energy? While I give you your next breath, you're going to tell me this is your time and energy? Well, I've called you to my kingdom purposes to build my kingdom for all eternity for the sake of my name. You want to talk about your time We are liberated from that way of thinking. We are li- we are freed from that prison. No, 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 no. It's all God's, and and we are so blessed to be able to say yes to Him as we see Him love His people. Beware of the evil one who will whisper to you, "God's holding out on you." He doesn't want you to be like him. You should be able to dictate how you live your life. No one should tell you what to do. That's what he whispered to Eve. He's he's got one trick up his sleeve. It's the same thing he did with Eve. When he whispered, he's like, you really won't die. God knows that if you eat this, you're going to be like him, knowing good from evil. What he was saying was, God's holding out on you. He's saving the best for himself and he's exploiting you to get it. He really is holding out on you. There is a life lived apart from God's will that's so much more enjoyable than you than can experience. He's holding out on you. And he's gonna whisper the same thing to all of you. He's gonna say, look at the failures of those around you. You shouldn't have to put up with that. In fact, that sentence is almost the most hysterical sentence that we can say. I just shouldn't have to put up with that. I shouldn't have to put up with that. One of the most hysterical statements that we can make. i will tell you what you should get. <laughs> what you should get? Let's talk about what we should deserve. And what God saves us from and embraces. But the evil one will fixate and cause you to fixate on the failures of other people around you and tell you you shouldn't have to put up with that. No. You call Jesus Lord, and that means something. You're pursuing his glory now and not yours. You're pursuing his appetites now and not yours. All that that you have is his and not yours. He has uniquely gifted you with all of your experiences and all of your abilities and all of your personality for the good of the people sitting around you. And this is why. Verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In everything God may receive the glory because he's got the, domin- he's got the dominion. He's got the glory forever and ever. So let's, let's, not, let's not try and become competitors grasping at the dominion and the glory for ourselves. My prayer for this church, for Crossing Church, is that you will stay focused so you can pray. I, I am so obsessed. If I could ask for anything today for the future of Crossing Church is that it will be known as a church on its knees that knows it will only accomplish anything in this community if, it is, if, if, if you all are fervent in prayer. What are you asking for? I've asked this for three years now, multiple occasions. What are you asking for? If God answered all of your prayer requests from this last week, what in the world would be different? What would be different in your home, what would be different in this community? What would be different with your neighbors and co workers? What would be different among the nations if God said yes to everything that you pray? And I'm going to give testimony to the very specific answers of prayer that we've seen in the last six months. And it's extraordinary. And I am, there's a check in my heart saying, oh, I should have been praying for so much more. I have a Heavenly Father who says yes and answers prayer. He does. What are we asking for? You have a ton to accomplish. You're super busy like Luther. You need to say, I need to spend the first three hours on my knees because I have way too much to accomplish today because the only thing that we'll accomplish that's worth anything is stuff that starts on our knees. So my prayer for this church is that you will stay focused so you can pray. And second that you will love one another earnestly, that you won't give up on each other, that you will not grow cold, that you will not grow distance. distant, that you will not pay attention to failures of the people around you or failures of how things are going, but you through genuine hospitality and using God's stuff that he's given you, you will love one another earnestly. You will keep trying to love each other. It's not gonna come naturally. You will naturally retreat back to your own lives retreat back to all the stuff that you're involved in and exclude each other. You will naturally do that. So it will take your energy and your time to invest in each other. You'll have to fight for that. You'll have to cover a multitude of sins. But that's what love covers because that's what Jesus has done for us. And only through this at church, as we do this, will you genuinely see how, how this text ends today that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, because to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Let's pray. I thank you, God, so much for these words, and I pray, Lord, that we would all take them to heart and that um, you would receive so much honor and glory from these people in the years and the decades to come. As lives are continued to transform as people continue to say no to themselves, to have self control, sober mind, focused and diligent in prayer, loving each other earnestly. I'm so desperate to see you being exalted. Thank you, Father, for these people, for all the, the gifts that they bring. We repent, Lord, of assuming that everything we have is ours to do with as we please. We repent from that, Lord. Please make us a praying people. Please make us a giving people. Please make us a people that fundamentally want to use our remaining days, our short days, to see your name exalted above all. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.